Well, good morning, second service. How are you guys? I love being with you all, and good morning to those that are watching online. This morning, we're going to be in Proverbs 14, so if you have a Bible, you can open there to Proverbs 14, and also to Genesis 31, so Proverbs 14 and Genesis 31. By a show of hands, how many of you are new here this morning, first-time visitors? If there's any of you, I want to invite you to come back next week as Pastor Rob continues our series in Proverbs. He's our lead pastor. He's an incredible communicator, Bible teacher, pastor, and I really want to encourage you to come back next week can hear from him. But this morning, we are going to conclude our little mini-series on the fear of the Lord, and we're going to go to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, and then also Genesis 31. Are you guys awake this morning? All right. If you're at Proverbs 14, say, I'm there. If you're not, that's all right. It is going to be on the screen. So what we are going to do is we're going to read our proverb, we're going to pray, and dive into it. Does that sound good? Are you guys ready? Are we awake? Are you sure? I hear like three people responding. Okay, I'm just playing. All right, Proverbs 14, beginning in verse 26. We're going to read verse 26 and 27. It'll also be on the screen. Let's read God's word together. And it says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Everyone say confidence. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children, speaking of God's children, will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain. Everyone say fountain. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Let's pray together once again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, that when two or more are gathered in your name, you are presently here among us. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would give us ears to hear what you desire to say to us. I pray that you give us eyes to see what you desire to show us. I pray, Father, that this would not just be another Sunday morning where we're dragging our feet and getting into church, but I pray this would be a morning in which we encounter you by your living word and by the power of your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would awaken us, Lord, that you give us ears, Lord, once again, to hear from you. And Father, I pray for those that are here that need encouragement, that you would encourage them. For those that need uh, comfort, that you would comfort them. For those that are here that need correction, that you would correct them. And I pray if there's anyone here at the sound of my voice in person or online that does not know you personally, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would come to experience you, that they would encounter you this morning through your word. And Father, I pray that you would persuade them, that you would convince them to place their faith in you. Jesus, we welcome you into this place. And in Jesus' name, your church said, Amen. So far in our series, In the Fear of the Lord, we've seen two things. In week one, Pastor Rob did a great job, powerful job, at defining what the fear of the Lord is. We saw that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And Pastor Rob likened the fear of the Lord to a two-sided coin, where on one side of the coin, there was God's holiness and His power, and then the other side of the coin is His love and His grace. And when we experience the true of who God is, we experience all of who He is, is, then we respond in the fear of the Lord, which is an awe and a reverence at who he is. And so we've defined what the fear of the Lord is. And last week, Pastor Pete did a powerful job at defining where the fear of the Lord leads. If you remember, we saw that the fear of the Lord leads to life, specifically a flourishing life and a contented life, a life of contentment and a life that protects us from evil. This is what we've seen so far when it comes to the fear of the Lord. And this morning, what we are going to do is we are going to see that the person who fears the Lord is both a secure person and a satisfied person. 
And this is important because in the church and outside the church, doesn't matter where you are, we all struggle with insecurity and not being satisfied. But here this morning, we're going to see that a person who fears the Lord will be secure and satisfied. The way we're going to do this this morning is we're going to illustrate it by looking into a couple individuals' lives. And we're going to see how it is that we are to fear the Lord. To do this, we are going to take a field trip. How many of you guys like to take field trips? How many of you remember taking field trips in elementary school? It was like the highlight of your life in elementary school. I remember being in elementary school. We would take a field trip to go to the beach to learn about tide pools. That was pretty epic. I loved it. And then we would take field trips to the local mission where we'd learn about history. Well, this morning, we're going to take a field trip on Sunday morning to a place called Shechem. Everyone say Shechem. Here at Shechem, we are going to learn not about tide pools or history, but we're going to learn what it looks like to fear the Lord. And I've asked a friend to take us there. That friend, his name is Jacob. Jacob is going to be our tour guide. And uh, before we talk about Jacob, I want to make it clear. Our goal in going to Shechem is to see two things. Our goal is to see that the fear of the Lord brings security because our proverb tells us that in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Otherwise, they're secure people. Our other goal is to see that the fear of the Lord brings satisfaction for the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And so I've asked our friend Jacob to be our tour guide to take us to the place of Shechem. And as we follow Jacob to Shechem, we're going to peer into the life of Jacob to learn from his life of what it looks like to fear the Lord and how that brings security. Now, I don't want to alarm you, but our tour guide Jacob is a bit of a sketchy character. Literally his name, it means deceiver. If you remember Jacob in the story of Jacob back in the book of Genesis, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. He had a twin named Esau. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was the secondborn. Jacob, from the moment he came out of his mother's womb, literally he was the heel catcher, the deceiver, a con man. What Jacob did is he conned his brother Esau in giving up the birthright. Then he conned his father Isaac in giving up a blessing. This led to Jacob actually fleeing his family and going in and away into the wilderness into a place called Padan Aram. There he would flee to go to his uncle Laban's house to find work. And on his way to uncle Laban's house, our tour guide Jacob had an encounter with God. He was literally at a rock bottom moment, sleeping on a rock. And we know that angels descended upon a ladder upon him, were comforting him. And we read that the God of Abraham and Isaac extended a covenant promise to Jacob and promised him protection. And so what Jacob does is he has this encounter with God, but then he goes to his uncle Laban's house. And while he's with Laban, his trickery and his schemes and his conniving and his con man continued. Here, Jacob continued tricking and then he ended up being tricked. There with Laban, he would pick up about four wives, actually have many kids and spend 20 years there with Laban. We're going to pick up and meet our tour guide at the edge of Padam Aran, where he is actually fleeing from Laban. And he'd done his 20 year stay. He'd 
been tricking Laban, was tricked by Laban, and now he's leaving Laban to go back into the promised land. But before he does, we're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter 31, verse 42. We're going to meet our tour guide, and he's going to give a revealing confession. As he's fleeing from Laban, he says these words in Genesis 31, 42. He says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Now catch this. He says, God saw my affliction. Everyone say my. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Here we find Jacob, 20 years after having an encounter with God, encounter with God continuing his trickery, he's leaving the presence of Laban. He says this revealing statement that the God that had been with him was not his God. Notice, it was the God of Abraham and the God, Abraham and the God of Isaac. But he does not refer to God as his God. Not only does he not refer to God as his God, but he actually gives God credit for saving him. But notice where the emphasis was. It wasn't on God saving him because of God's faithfulness. It was God saving him based on Jacob's faithfulness. What he says to Laban is like, my God, or not my God, but the God of Abraham and Isaac, he saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. In other words, Jacob's focus is not on God, but on himself. See, at this moment in time, as we journey with our tour guide Jacob to Shechem, I want you to put yourself in Jacob's shoes for only a moment. Because I believe that the life of Jacob is very indicative of the human condition, even as Christians. You see, Jacob had encountered God. He knew the promises of God, but he did not want God to be the Lord or sinner of his life. He saw God as Savior, but God's saving was more based on how good Jacob had been rather than on God's faithfulness. And I want you to consider for a moment how often we can have the same mindset. How often we can grow up hearing about God or we genuinely have an encounter with God. We know the promises of God, but then we go on through life scheming and relying on our own abilities, on our own understanding and on our own ways rather than God and his faithfulness. Our focus isn't really on God himself, but our focus is on God's or on our performance, this is Jacob. Jacob knew about God, knew God's promises, but saw God more as a means to an end. He was using God more as a tool for his own purposes, enjoyment, and future. How often can we do the same thing? We want the benefits of God, but we don't want God himself. This is Jacob. Have you ever been in that place before? Real honestly. I think we've all gone through in our life with Jesus or our walk with Jesus. There are moments where our emphasis is not on God and his faithfulness and his promises, but on on ourself and what we have to offer God on our own understanding. This is Jacob. And here, 
as Jacob is leaving Laban, he is very sure of himself. He is very confident of himself. Why? Because he'd been doing all the right things. He'd been working hard. He'd been afflicted. He'd been wrong. And so, of course, God was going to rescue him from the evil hands of Laban. It was all based on his perspective of him, of where he was at. You see, the Proverbs actually warn us of this time of type of mentality. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, we can go through our walk with Jesus and we can call him Savior, but oftentimes we can try to take the reins of our own life and do what is right in our eyes. The Proverbs tells us that this way leads to death. Jesus says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, while everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jacob had heard the words of God, literally heard the promises of God, but he was not trusting in them. He was not relying on them. He was building his life on a foundation of sand. Can you relate at all? Have you ever been there before? You know about God, you've heard it, but you're not putting it into practice. You're not actually trusting in God and his faithfulness. You're looking to yourself. This is Jacob. And the scriptures from cover to cover promises that this way, choosing our way rather than God's way, trusting in ourself rather than God, will always lead to destruction. Well, here we see that Jacob was using the promises of God as building materials for his life, but not actually as the foundation of his life. We too, once again, can use the promises of God as building materials for our life, but not actually founded upon them. Well, here is Jacob. Jacob makes this revealing statement that God is the God of Abraham and Isaac. And the only reason that God rescued him was because God saw his affliction, his horrible state and how he'd been faithful. That's why God rescued him. Well, this is actually going to bring great insecurity to live your life this way on a foundation of sand, on a foundation based on yourself and your performance is to build your life on insecurity. Because as we'll see in a moment, Jacob wasn't always good. Check this out. Continuing our tour guide, Jacob, he's going and about to go across from Padam Aran, across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Before he does, he leaves Laban. He sends some messengers over the Jordan River into the Promised Land to check out if his brother Esau is there. Well, his messengers come back with a message and they say this in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 6. Read along with me. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Here Jacob, who in one moment was so confident and sure of himself that God had been with him, that God was protecting him because God saw his affliction and the work of his hands. Now he's greatly afraid and distressed. Do you notice the insecurity here? Do you notice the shifting sands here? One moment he's at a high, another moment he's at a low. And he's doubting God's faithfulness and doubting God's promise of protection. He's fearful and greatly distressed. 
and so fearful and distressed, he does the right thing, though. He ends up praying to God. And we pick up in verse 11. He says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Again, here we find Jacob, who in one moment was so sure of himself, who is so confident of himself, now he is greatly afraid and distressed. Now he is nervous. Why? Because Esau was coming. Who's Esau? Esau is the one who he tricked and he deceived to get the birthright and the blessing. Esau was a reminder of his past mistakes and his failures. Esau was a reminder of the sin that comes knocking, condemning us. Now, Jacob's eyes are back on his failures and he's doubting God's protection in his life. Why? Because Jacob's confidence was not in God's promises. Jacob's confidence was in his performance. So when he was doing well with the Lord or when he was doing what he thought he was, was right, he was confident. But when he was doing what was wrong or remembering the past sins, now he's insecure, doubting God. Can you relate? Have you ever been there before? Can you relate with Jacob? I remember when I was in junior high and even into high school, I really genuinely believe my grandma led me to the Lord at a young age. But I grew up not really knowing the grace of God. And and so I had a twisted idea about God. Again, like Jacob, my focus was more on myself and my performance than God and his promises. And so my grandma gave me this thing called the daily bread. How many of you know what the daily bread is? You used to be able to find them at donut shops and stuff. The daily bread was a little monthly devotional pamphlet. And my grandma would give me the daily bread. And whenever I stayed at my grandma's house, she would make me read it in the morning to her. And so she would give me this thing. And I thought it was like my good luck charm. In fact, I thought if I read my daily bread in the morning, then surely God would bless me. Surely I was going to have a good day. Man, I was really confident If I read my daily bread in the morning, but if I didn't, I was scared for my life. If I didn't, I was like, man, God must, oh, I am outside of God's blessing and protection. And he's about to strike me with lightning. Today's going to be an awful day. I slept in and did not read my daily bread. I had a religious view or idea of God. That God's faithfulness, that God's blessing, that God's protection was based on my performance, how well I was doing. This was actually an insecure way to live. This is Jacob. Insecure. Not confident. Greatly afraid and distressed. Can you relate? But we find our tour guide Jacob... Before he goes into the promised land, he sends his wife and his children and his crew ahead of him across the Jordan River and he stays on the other side and he's left alone. And this is where we see a pivotal pivotal moment in Jacob's life. Read with me there in Genesis 32 and verse 24. We read, And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. This is the man who's saying that. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27, the man said to Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob, verse 28, 
Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there the man blessed him. Here, this is the transformative moment in Jacob's life. Jacob, the, the, the deceiver, the conniver, the con man. Jacob, who actually, if we look in the life of Jacob, every single negotiation he tried to make, he ended up getting what he wanted. He got the birthright. He got the blessings. He got the wives. He got a lot of sheep. He got a lot of money from Laban. He made out. He was a winner in the world's eyes. He did everything he was supposed to do. He got what he wanted until this day. He's greatly afraid and distressed. He's all alone and he's met with a man who wrestles him. We know that this man is God. This man is God and God is picking a fight with Jacob. Notice there in verse 24, it's very interesting. The man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of day. It was God who was wrestling with Jacob at the breaking of the day. Not Jacob who was wrestling with God. What was God doing? Well, Spurgeon comments on this and he says, The wrestling angel of the covenant who had come to wrestle out of him much of his own strength and wisdom. What was God doing to Jacob? Jacob, who'd built his whole life on himself, on his strengths and his abilities, on his confidence, on his way to, to, to deceive and to connive. Now here is God wrestling all of this out of him. He's wrestling out that self-reliance, that self-dependence, that looking and leaning on his own understanding. He's wrestling it all out of Jacob and he lets Jacob fight through the night till the very breaking of the dawn. Now this is interesting. A little side note for those of you Bible students. If you remember Moses on Mount Sinai, when he had an encounter with God, God said, you will not see my face for you will surely die if you do. Here is God wrestling with Jacob all through the night. And as daybreak approaches, or daybreak, he would then see the face of God and surely die. God says in his grace and his mercy, you need to let go of me. And Jacob says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Friends, this is where security is found. For the fear of the Lord brings security. Remember that the fear of the Lord is to see God's power and his holiness, but also his grace and his love. Well, here, as Jacob is wrestling with God, this is what it looks like to experience the fear of the Lord. As God cripples Jacob, the Bible says that he just touched him. It wasn't this act of rage or fury, but just touched him and he was crippled. There Jacob experienced the power of God. But moments later, he would experience the grace of God. God would bless him. But notice Jacob. Jacob is clinging to God. This is really, really key to understand. Jacob had lived his whole life, not under the fear of God, but under the fear of man. He lived his whole life under the fear of man, trying to please others, looking for blessing in all the wrong places. He looked at it in his father Isaac's face, looking for approval and blessing in Isaac. Then he looked for the approval and blessing in Laban, trying to impress Laban, but Laban would end up tricking him. Then he would look for approval and blessing in Esau before as the messengers went across, they sent gifts with them to try and win Esau over. 
He was looking for approval in all the wrong places. But here, everything changes. He's clinging to God and he says, I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. Here we see the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord truly cancels all other fears. No longer, it didn't matter what anyone else thought of him. It mattered what God had thought of him. Can you take a moment and relate to the story of Jacob? Because I believe that we as Christians should be the most secure and most confident people. But many of us are crippled under the fear of man. Living to please your in-laws, your spouse, your community, your boss. Living under the fear of man, trying to win the approval of others. When God says, what you're looking for is really right here in me. God had to wrestle Jacob for Jacob to understand it. But Jacob finally got it. Jacob finally saw in his weakness that the only blessing he was really looking for was the blessing that God gives. And here, God blesses him. And when he does so, he changes Jacob's name. His name is changed from deceiver to Israel, which means governed by God. Governed and ruled by God. Before we continue... Before our tour guide takes us into Shechem, can you relate with Jacob? Are you living under the fear of man? Can I tell you, can I remind you that it is only the fear of the Lord that brings security. It is only him who brings the security that you're looking for and it's found in his blessing. And we've got good news in a second because the blessing is yours if you want it. All Jacob had to do was surrender his will. And as he does, he was a transformed man. His name was changed from, from Jacob to Israel. His walk was now changed, though, for now our tour guide is going to be limping his way into Shechem. And so, uh, remember, our destination this morning, we're on a field trip to Shechem. And so Jacob is now going to limp his way to Shechem. And we're going to see in Shechem the security of the Lord once again. For Pick up with me in Genesis 33 and verse 18. Here, our tour guide finally takes us to Shechem. We read, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. Then he erected an altar and called it El Elohai Israel, which means the God of Israel. Notice, Jacob's name was changed. From Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, ruled by God. Now he, after this experience of wrestling with God, after experiencing the fear of the Lord, he goes into the promised land and he sets up in Shechem. Now Shechem was the first place that God had appeared to his grandfather Abraham and given him the covenant. Shechem was in the promised land. And here he builds an altar in Shechem. He buys some land and he builds an altar. And that altar is an altar to the God of Israel. In other words... Jacob is now making a declaration of his faith. Who at the beginning of our time with Jacob, we saw that God was the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now he is the God of Israel. He's the God of Jacob. Here now we see that Jacob is secure in his relationship with God. He is confessing God to be his God. Before we continue, I wanted to, by way of application, just three quick points. That the fear of the Lord brings security because the fear of the Lord, number one, cancels all other fears. We already talked about this. It cancels all other fears. Now, Jacob didn't have to fear Esau. He didn't have to fear what would happen to him. He experienced the fear of the Lord encounter with God. And now all other fears were eradicated. So too, when you experience God for who he is, it doesn't matter what people think of you. 
You don't need to fear man any longer when we have the fear of the Lord. It cancels all other fears when we have the approval of God. Number two, the fear of the Lord brings security because the fear of the Lord calls us to obedience. It calls us to obedience. Obedience is not a requirement for God's blessing. It is a result of God's blessing. Notice, God had blessed Jacob, not because he earned the blessing, but because he surrendered and he was blessed. But now because he had the blessing of the Lord, he experienced the fear of God. The fear of God calls him to obedience. Now, because he was blessed, the result is obedience. He wants to live for God. So he goes into the promised land. He builds an altar to worship God. And thirdly, the fear of the Lord carries us through uncertainty. How would Jacob face Esau? How would Jacob, with all of his family and all of his crew, how would they survive in the promised land? It didn't matter anymore because he feared the Lord and the fear of the Lord carries uncertainty. Do you have uncertainty before you this morning? You don't know what season's in front of you. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how it's all going to work out. Look and position yourself in the fear of the Lord. Look to see who God is, that he has blessing for you, that he is for you and not against you. And man, God's blessing, the fear of the Lord will carry us through uncertainty. But in closing, as we are here in Shechem, as Jacob, our tour guide, brought us here to Shechem, we've learned how the fear of the Lord brings security. We did not come to Shechem just to learn about the principles from Jacob's life. We came to Shechem to encounter Jesus. Because here at this exact plot of land, we would learn, according to John chapter 4, that Jacob, in an act of faith, would build a well. He would dig deep and create a well. In an act of faith saying that God was going to provide for him and his family there in the promised land, he built a well and many, many years later, Jesus would come to this well. Jesus would come to Jacob's well. He would have a meeting with the Samaritan woman. But you must understand that the fear of the Lord culminates in Jesus. We came to Shechem to learn about the fear of the Lord and it culminates in Jesus. The word culminates means to climax in Jesus. Jesus is the climax of the fear of the Lord. For if the fear of the Lord is a two-sided coin where one side is God's truth or his holiness or his power and the other side is his grace and his mercy and love, this is perfectly displayed in the person of Jesus. For we know according to John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the culmination of the fear of the Lord. When we see Jesus, that Jesus is both a God of grace and a God of truth and we see him for who he is, we respond in awe and reverence to Jesus and it is Jesus who truly brings security. In fact, if you look at this, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, and you replace it to, with the word Jesus, it would read, in Jesus one has strong confidence. And Jesus is the fountain of life. Jesus is the culmination of the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus is not afraid to wrestle in us and wrestle with us. In fact, as we find Jesus here in Shechem, we would realize that Jesus was with us the entire time. For Jesus was there wrestling Jacob, wrestling out that self-reliance and self-dependence and that trusting in himself and that self-righteousness. Jesus was there wrestling with Jacob, wrestling that out of him so that he could bless him. And in Jesus, we can experience blessing this morning. 
for the words at Jesus' baptism. It's God the Father cried to God the Son. This is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, those words echo to you. Because of Jesus and his performance, what he's done on your behalf, because of the work of the cross, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done, we're experiencing blessing. Because of Jesus, we are his beloved. In Jesus, we are chosen. In Jesus, we are forgiven. In Jesus, we are accepted. There is no greater source of security other than knowing that we are his and he is mine. That Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That is where true security is found. Jesus is the one who offers blessing to us this morning as we surrender to him. Jesus brings security. But also we came to Jacob's well, to Shechem, to find Jesus, to realize that the fear of the Lord brings satisfaction. For Jesus, in him one has strong confidence, but Jesus is the fountain of life. For it was here at the well, the well that Jacob had to dig and dig and dig just to get a little bit of satisfaction to provide for his family. Here, Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman who is also crippled under the fear of man. She comes at the noon hour in the heat of the day. Why? Because as we find out in the story and the narrative, she had many husbands. She was rejected by society. So she comes all alone. And she has an encounter with Jesus all alone. And Jesus calls her to draw some water from the well. And then he tells her that he has living water for her. And we read this there in John 4, verse 13. We read that Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We took a field trip to Shechem this morning to see that in Jesus and seeing who he is, both grace and truth, the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus. That he is the one who brings security, but he is the one who brings satisfaction for your soul. For without him, your soul is thirsty for more. You want more. You're unsatisfied. And even as Christians, we can begin to live like this. Unsatisfied. Well, Jesus says to the woman, he says to us this morning, He, Jesus, is the fountain of life. And when we truly taste from Jesus, just as our proverb tells us, we will want to turn away from the snares of death. For Jesus is so much better. What he has to offer and the deep satisfaction that is found in Jesus, nothing else can relate. I want you to notice this. As Jesus is there with the woman at the well, A well, notice the difference between a well and a fountain. A well, Jacob had to dig that well. It was a laborious work. It was an expensive and costly work. Had to dig that well in order to draw a little bit of water. There at that well, Jesus says to the woman, it's not in you I've given a well, but a fountain, springs of water that are flowing from you. The difference between a well and a And a fountain is a well. You have to work your way. There's so much effort to get that refreshment of water, but a fountain you simply must receive. And Jesus, he offers satisfaction to you this morning. Would you receive? This time I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to take a moment and we're going to remember Jesus in an act of communion. 
But our response this morning is very simple. This morning, I want to leave you on this field in Shechem at Jacob's well with Jesus. And maybe for some of you, God wants to wrestle you. He wants to wrestle out of you that self-reliance and that self-dependence and that pride and that self-righteousness for you to surrender so that he can give you blessing. Maybe some of you he wants to wrestle. Maybe others of you, you are thirsty. He offers a fountain of living water to your soul this morning. All you must do is receive him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you receive him this morning if you never have? Have you been looking for approval and blessing in all the wrong places? Are you dissatisfied in your life? Can I draw your attention to Jesus? Jesus offers you forgiveness. Jesus offers you life. For Jesus is the greater than Jacob. Jesus is greater than Jacob in that Jacob wrestled with God and God, Jesus, really was the one that prevailed. But Jesus was also greater than Jacob in weakness. For Jacob would be hit in the hip, he would be limped, but Jesus was greater in weakness that he would lay limp upon a cross. Not his hip would be broken, but his entire body would be broken. Why? So that you could be forgiven. It was an act, a demonstration of his love toward you. And that you don't have to work your way up to God, but God has worked his way down to you. All you must do is respond and receive his gift of grace. And you can drink from the fountain of living water. Will you do so this morning? We'll give you an opportunity if you never have before. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in you, we can be a secure and satisfied people. And I pray that that would be the case for Calvary Vista, for those of us that are here this morning or watching online. I pray that we would be a confident people, that our confidence would not be placed in ourselves, but in you and in your faithfulness and in your goodness. Father, I pray for those that are in this room that are living under the fear of man and the approval of others. Father, I pray that they would just bow to you that they would seek your blessing and find that in you, the blessing is already there. That in your son, we are your beloved, we are your chosen, and you're pleased in us. Father, I pray that we'd be a people secure and confident in you. And I pray, Father, though for those that are in this room, that maybe have had the wrong understanding of you, that have been trying to show off to you and have never truly received your grace. They're thirsty, they're worn out, they're weary from this world and you offer fountains of living water this morning. Father, I pray if those people are in here that have never truly responded to you in faith, I pray that this morning you would persuade them to place their faith in you. And as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're in this room this morning, And somehow through this message, Jesus has revealed himself to you. I want you to understand Jesus's heart is for you this morning. He is not against you. He is for you. And all you must do is simply respond and receive him. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but Jesus died in our place and he rose from the grave. He's victorious. He's alive today. And if you do not know him, he is calling you to place your faith in him. If you're here this morning and you would like to place your faith in Jesus, if you'd like to just declare, that's me, I need that that drink from that well, I need this living water. If that's you, would you raise up your hand to God and say, that's me, I desire to know you, Jesus. I desire to give up living my life. I want to know you and your life. If that's you, just simply raise up your hand. God bless you, God bless you. Jesus has blessing for you. 
He offers you living water. Those of you with your hands raised or maybe you're in your seat and and you know that God is calling you, I want you to understand it's not your hand being raised that saves you. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's God who saves you. But I believe as you pray this prayer, it can be a moment with you and God of what God is doing in your heart. So I want to lead you in a prayer. Simply repeat this to God after me. Say, dear Jesus, believe that you are God. I believe that you died for me and are alive today. I turn to you. I surrender my life. Give me this living water. In Jesus' name, your people said, amen. Amen. Well, those of you that prayed that prayer, maybe online, listen, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you a Bible and just spend some time and walking to you or walking with you as you begin your life with Jesus. But for those of you that know Jesus, you're here. We're going to take a moment to receive communion together. And so you should have gotten the communion elements as you walked in. And I want you to know that there's two little wrappers there on the top of it. The first wrapper you need to peel back and there is the bread. And the bread represents Jesus's body that was broken for us, broken that we would be made whole. His body that was broken to remind us that it's all based on him and what he's done at the cross. So peel back that first layer, receive the bread, remember his body. And then there's another little layer you pull back and you can receive the cup, the wine that represents, it's it's grape juice, not wine, but it represents Jesus's blood that was shed for us, that we can drink of his grace for our soul that is condemned in moments that we feel like, man, God must be upset. Remember his blood that washes us of our sin, that takes away condemnation and gives us life. Let's take that moment and receive communion during this song together. God bless you all.